Well, I can tell our staff really had fun making these videos up. And, um, and uh, anyway, but my name is Bob. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater. We've been talking about real faith. And uh, so we're going to start with another game. It won't be as long as last week. So I kind of went, went overboard last week, but a little bit shorter. If you're watching online, you'll want to make a profile out or uh, log in to the chat so you can shout out whether these dad jokes are real or fake, okay? Now, I do want to say that that the ones we even say are fake, some of you are probably going to send me screenshots. Like, no, that was real. That was my dad. So I'm not sure there's a wrong answer here. But if you get them all right, you win my voice on your answering machine. <laughs> Who would want that? Like, um, or I'll get you a mint from the men's bathroom, which made me wonder, are there mints in the women's bathroom? No? Oh, yeah. Oh, the big one. No, you don't eat that one. No, that's a good point. No, I mean, there are actually. All right, moving on. I don't know if. Woo! All right. Okay, be real. All right, let's be real here. Um, is this real or fake? Shout it out. I'll call you later. Don't call me later. Call me dad. Is that real or fake? So it's fake, but I, you, there, that's got to be like. 20 of you have probably had your dad say that to you, or at least text it. All right, here's another one. In a meeting, in a meeting, in a meeting, in a meeting. Dad, are you in a meeting? No. Why? It's actually real. Um, that's not on the dad, though. That's like a kid that is not paying attention. All right, here's another one. Dad, can I go to Sean's party? Is Sean going to be there? Everyone's going to be there. That can't be right. Everyone can't be there because you're definitely not going. <laughs> See, I, I thought he was going to say, I'm not going to be there. That's what I would have said. But um, I got to remember that, though. That might be fake, but, but I'm going to use that one at some point. So I'm hungry. Hi, hungry. Nice to meet you. I'm dad. Dad, I'm serious. I thought your name was hungry. Are you kidding me? No, I'm dad. I'm not kidding me. That is real. Yeah. So it's just like who's on first, only like for dads. So... Um, uh, this, uh, this is not my favorite, second favorite. What's the difference between a piano, a tuna, and a plot of, pot of glue? I don't know, Dad. You can tune a piano, but you can't piano a tuna. <laughs> what about the glue? I knew you'd get stuck there. So that's, that's the perfect lead-in, you know? That's, that's where you really got to. They say that's real. I don't know. I, that sounds fake. My kids would not play along. Like, they would not... All right, this is my favorite one. Dad, there's a moth outside the bathroom door. Can you get rid of it? Please hurry, because I'm going to cry. Dad, Dad. Dad is dead. You're next. <laughs> Love the moth. So I got to do this one with spiders. Like the next time someone needs a spider rescue, um, that, I, somehow that's, that's, that's a great one. Anyway, so here's the thing. It is hard to tell what's real and what's fake. So often, especially in our world today with, with photoshopping and, and spin and all this kind of stuff, fake news. Um, but, but not only is it hard to tell whether someone else is fake, but we're going to talk today about it's hard to tell whether I am fake, whether you are fake. Um, we've been talking about real faith. And two weeks ago, Pastor Josh said that real faith is revealed through trials and hard things. Last week, uh, I was talking about how real faith in James, it talks about how real faith is, is um, shown in perseverance. So real faith perseveres through, through temptation and gets to the other side of it. And so today we're going to talk about 
um, how to tell whether you really have faith or whether you don't. And we're not just going to look at James, but this is something that is really, at, at points in the message, it's going to sound to some of you maybe who've been around church even a long time, you might say, that doesn't sound right. Um, because I think we've had um, such a fake view of, of faith uh, that's been presented to us. And so we're going to start with actually some words of Jesus to kind of back up what James is saying. And Jesus says, Matthew seven twenty one, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. So how do we know if the faith is real? Not, not because of what they say, but because of what they do, right? Does the will of my Father in heaven. This is important to recognize because the very next verse, Jesus seems to contradict this. Because he goes on to say, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wait a minute. Real faith, there's those who do the will of our, the, our Father in heaven and the will of our Father in heaven is not prophesying and casting out demons, exorcism and doing many miracles. What? What? What is that? And I think what Jesus is saying is not only is it important what you do, does that show your faith, but why you do it also shows your faith. And sometimes doing things that on the outside look like I'm following God, if on the inside I'm doing it for me, then that's not real faith. Here's an example of this. Uh, this is Benny Hinn. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Benny Hinn. Yeah, so... A lot of you aren't. That's probably a good thing. This is, he's one of the most popular, spoken to millions and millions of people all over the world. He's what we call a prosperity gospel preacher. Prosperity gospel is this particular abomination of the gospel that says, if you have enough faith, then you're never going to be sick. And if you're sick, you'll get better if you have faith. And if you have faith, you'll be rich like me, you know? And he can point to his $10 million home, you know, and, and, and his $30 million Gulfstream jet that he owns. And he has a Ferrari, a McLaren. The only people I know that have McLaren are, are like rip people off. Like, I'm sure that's not the case, but this is super expensive, like, sports car that I've never even heard of until recently. And he's got a Rolls Royce, and then maybe to pick up groceries, he's got his Mercedes. Um, you know, like this guy, and, and he'd say, you know, if you have faith, you'll be rich like me. And of course, if you have faith, you will give to my ministry. Because that's like a seed, you know, and you give that seed and, and then it'll grow and it'll come back to you and pressed down, shaken together and running over into your lap. And God will open the floodgates of heaven and rain down so much blessing you won't know what to do with it. Just send to this 1-800 number. Give me your credit card. And... And he, went all, he goes all over the world doing healing services all over the world, but never in a hospital, right? And, and so a little over a year ago, his nephew, Costi Hen, said, uh, had, had been wrestling with us. He grew up in this family. He said it was kind of like growing up in, in something between the royal family because of the extravagance and the wealth and how they were treated. They were treated like, like they were like these God's anointed people from on high and you just, and he says, so it's somewhere between a royal family and a mafia family because loyalty to the man 
was demanded. You do not, in fact, this is one of the phrases they use in churches like this and in movements like this. They say, you do not touch the Lord's anointed. Right? Don't touch the Lord's anointed. Don't speak against the Lord's anointed. Don't, don't basically do not complain or criticize the guy in charge and the guy who's preaching this. And, but over the years, this nephew came to realize through some godly friends and some pastors who said, this isn't right, this isn't true. But most of all, he learned through reading his Bible himself. He said, wait a minute, Jesus suffered. Oh, Jesus suffered so we didn't have to. Okay, but Paul suffered. He had this thorn in the flesh that he begged God, take it away from me, and God said, no. Did Paul not have enough faith to be healed? And, and he began to question it, and then a little over a year ago, he confronted his uncle, and he said, Uncle Benny, this is wrong. This is against God's word. And he left the family business and left all of that, that access to money and, and stuff and just lives kind of a, a, a normal, normal middle-class life now. He wrote a book, God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. And the amazing thing is after confronting his uncle, his uncle has publicly come out and said, you know what, what I've been teaching about how you will never suffer and how you'll always be rich if you follow God, I've been wrong. And it's not true. Now, I think there's a lot of people like Benny who on the day of judgment will say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name do many miracles? And Jesus is going to say, Benny, who? Who are you? I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I don't know if that's the case with him because of this statement that he's saying. Now, now again, it, is it a real, a real change? We'll know if he sells his Gulfstream jet and his $10 million house and his sports cars and any other ill-gotten gain that he's gotten for lying to people about what the true good news of God's word is and gives it away to those who are in need. If he does that, then he's going to be following Jesus, right? Because how did Jesus live? Jesus didn't drive a McLaren, <laughs> you know. So here's what James says. He kind of reinforces what Jesus has already said. And we're not sure exactly who James is, uh, honestly, but most people believe that this James is the brother of Jesus. And so didn't believe in Jesus during Jesus' lifetime after his resurrection and the appearances of Jesus. James the skeptic became James the believer and uh, gave his life to Jesus Christ. But he says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? And I want to stop here and say, I am not saying faith is bad. James is not saying faith is bad. Faith is hugely important, right? 2 Corinthians 5, it says we need to walk by faith. Hebrews 11 says it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible. Um, you, you know, other places, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says we are saved by grace through faith, right? Say faith saves us. We walk in it. We, it's, so we're not saying faith is not important. What James is saying is there is a type of faith that's fake and that's dead. And he gives an example. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. This is a, this is a believer, a brother or sister, someone else who's a Christian. 
And if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and and that you'd have it to the fullest. And James is saying, this is the opposite of that. This is the opposite of life. This is death, dead faith. Here's a way of summarizing what James is saying. Fake faith is convenient and affects parts of my life. Doesn't affect me financially. Someone who's in need doesn't maybe affect my schedule to, to spend some time and meet some needs. No, it's, it's, it's something you say. Be warm and well-fed. Well, I'll be, I'll be praying, thoughts and prayers. He says, no, it goes beyond that. And if it's only our words and if it's only our feelings, you know, someone tells us a, a, a sad story and we feel sad. And maybe we feel generous feelings and think generous thoughts, but if we don't actually follow through, that's, he's saying it's a worthless dead faith. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. He says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I actually do. And so James here, he is writing, we need to remember, he is writing to believers. Okay, James chapter 1, verse 1, he says, actually he's writing to Jewish believers that are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. He's not talking to non-Christians here about the lack of their faith or about the kind of their faith. He's saying, in our churches, he's writing this because he says, I'm afraid there's a lot of people with fake faith. And, And I think if we were to line up here Everyone who's in church in America today, I think the majority of those would not have real faith, would not have saving faith. Fake faith is a real problem. And he goes on, he says, you believe there's one God good, even the demons believe that and shudder. Okay, so, so this, is, this is where you're like, wait a minute, what? Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. James 2.19, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're as good as a demon. That, that can't be right. Is the Bible contradicting itself? Is, is James, in fact, um, Martin Luther, who started the Lutheran church, he called James an epistle of straw. He, he did not like that book of the Bible. He wished you could rip it out and throw it away. But the truth is, like, James is part of God's Word because it's not contradicting Acts 16.31. There is something about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ that must mean more than just believing Jesus was God. Because do the demons believe Jesus was God? Yeah. Do the demons believe in Zeus, Apollo, and Epaphrodite, that those are real gods? Do they believe they're real gods? No. Demons have great theology. They, they, they believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. They believe that. They believe he rose from the dead. Some of them might have even seen it. But there needs to be something more to our faith than just an intellectual acknowledgement that this is what is true. Because real faith comes out in our actions. If I really believe there was a bomb in this building right now and it's going to go off, and I stood up here just talking to you like normal? Would I really believe that? No. I might say I believe it. I might. But 
if I really believe there's a bomb in this building, I'm going to say, there's a bomb in the building. Let's get out of here. And, and hopefully I wouldn't be the first one out. Hopefully I would be, you know, <laughs> trying to help other people get out too, you know. And, but I would act like it, right? Because if I didn't do that, like right now, I say, you know what? There's a bomb in this building. Do you believe me? Do I believe me? No. And, and so this is, this is how we need to understand so many here not the majority, but there's, there's a bunch of you. You struggle with assurance of salvation. And you think, oh, I gave my life to God, but then I messed up and I've, I've sinned and I've done things wrong and am I really saved? I don't know. Here's how you know. Are there times, have there been times in your life where God said, go this way and everything in your body wanted to go that way? But you went with Jesus. Now, we don't always do that. We're not perfect. But in fact, if you're, if you're here today and you're like, oh, it's such a struggle and so many times I do, but then there's other times and I do what I want and I don't go where Jesus is going. And, okay, you're saved because it's changing you. It's affecting how you actually act. It's not just something you say. Because the truth is, a lot of things that are godly that, that look like they're following Jesus are things we would do anyway like a good work ethic. There's some of you here, you have tremendous work ethic. And that's wonderful, but, but a lot of people have a good work ethic because they found, you know what? I'm better off when I work hard. It comes back to me. I, 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 it's good for me to work hard. So I'm working hard, not because God says work hard, but because I've I found it's just better. And some people are kind and nice for the exact same reason. They found, you know what? I want people to like me. And in order to get people to like me, I need to be kind to people and nice. I don't do it because Jesus tells me. I do it because my life is better when I'm nice and kind to people. And, and some people even coming to church. My friends are at church. Who doesn't want to be with their friends? And so that's why I'm here. And, but, but when there's a time where you want to go that way and God says this is what needs to do, be done, that's when we can tell is it real faith or fake faith? Because all of us in our lives, there are times when, when it's not convenient, where it doesn't make sense. Like, God, why would you? That doesn't make sense. It would be so much harder. Why don't we go my way? But then if you trust God, that's a sign of real faith. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? James is Jewish. All, all the, the disciples of Jesus were Jewish. Obviously, his brother would have been Jewish. Um, but he's not just Jewish. He is, he is a Jew's Jew. He is a pastor in the Church of Jerusalem. He's writing, this is many believe, James is the first book of the New Testament written. Um, James or Mark are among the first two, many believe, are written. And so at this point in church history, almost everybody who's saved is a Jew. Almost everybody in the church is Jewish. So he's writing to Jews. He's saying, hey, think about, think about what the Old Testament says. We're all familiar with it. Jesus, this, this, this message I'm telling you, this is what Jesus said. And that, then it's, it's, what it's, it's the way it's always been. It's not that people were saved by works in the Old Testament under Judaism and they're saved by faith in the New Testament because of Jesus. We've always been saved by faith. 
Old Testament and New Testament. And he's saying, think about Abraham. He was considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Now, interestingly, it, it says in the Old Testament, Abraham was, was, was considered righteous chapters and decades before he offered Isaac on the altar. So it's not that, that works is what saved Abraham, it's that his faith saved him, but, but it was the kind of faith that affected his actions afterward. You see that by his faith and his actions, they were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled. It says Abraham believed God. So it says it was fulfilled. It said he believed God and then it was fulfilled for us to see that belief when he actually was willing to give up his son and kill his son. And it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. And you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And so this is not contradicting you know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you are saved through faith. He says, yes, it is by grace we're saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. It is not of works so that no one can boast. But after you have that kind of faith, your life changes. And we know he's not saying you're saved by works because the very next illustration he gives is Rahab the prostitute. If I was going to pick on somebody to say, this is your saved by being righteous, I wouldn't use Rahab, and if I did, I wouldn't remind you that she was a prostitute. <laughs> you know? so, so it's not that, but he says in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous? We get to heaven, Rahab the prostitute's gonna be there. We're probably not gonna call her that anymore, I don't, I don't think. But maybe we will, we'll be saved. You know, the incredible grace of God that he would save me. She was considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. So, so in five minutes, she made up for what was maybe decades of sin. No, this is not a works thing. This is, this is a faith thing, but it's a faith that changed her life. And she was willing to risk her life to save God's people um, because of her faith. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So here's another way of saying this. You know, fake, uh, fake faith is convenient and affects part of my life. Real faith is costly and affects all of my life. That, that's, that's what real faith looks like. Um, I'm going to talk about five ways real faith can be costly. Three of them are right from the text, and then I'll throw in two for bonus. Um, number one, financially. Real faith costs us financially. That's what James 2, 15 and 16 was saying. If someone is in, someone is, has no clothes, they have no food, you need to help them. If you have more food than you can eat today, you need to give. If you have more clothes than what you have on right now, you need to give. And, and so is your faith a faith that costs you financially? Now, I am all for people giving to church, okay, obviously. <laughs> I wouldn't get paid if people didn't give to this church. He's not talking about that. In James 2, 15 and 16, he's talking about giving to those who are poor and in need. Do you do that? I'm not talking about people who can't make their cell phone payment. <laughs> I'm talking about people that are actually starving, that are actually without proper shelter or clothing, 
And if you don't know how to do that and you don't know who to give to the poor and you're not giving regularly to the poor, listen, if I was, if I was teaching this in Ethiopia, I wouldn't say this, but I'm in America and, and, and for those who are watching online, if you're from some different country, things may be different with you, but everyone I've met in, an, in America, everyone has had the ability to give something to someone. And, and, and so th- that's a way that our faith real faith works its way out is, is by doing that. If you are not giving to someone poor and in need, you need to sign up for, uh, to sponsor a child through Food for the Hungry in Guatemala, $38 a month. $38 a month, a little over a dollar a day to give to a child, to, to help that child. Malnutrition is huge in these little villages in Guatemala that Food for the Hungry is at. Um, to help that child, to help that family, to help an entire village and lift them out of poverty. That's what real faith does. You can even go and, and visit them. Deadline's on, I think, Monday to, if you want to go this summer and just see some of these. We, we support Felipe, our family. Just wrote him an Easter letter that we sent in the mail. And just to be a, this is what real faith does. Another thing real faith does, um, trust God sexually and romantically. What if following God means you will never get married? Can you trust God in that? What if, what if following God means you're going to stay married to that guy for the rest of his life? Can you follow God in that too? I mean, can, can we trust God to do things God's way or like, you don't understand, I'm not good alone. I'm so lonely. Can, can you trust God? I'm not saying you're single, God wants you single. I don't know. Like, you know, and there are, even in marriage, you know, there are situations where divorce God allows and I'm not talking about that, but can you trust God with it? Can you trust God with forgiveness? If you could get even, with that person who's wronged you? Like this afternoon, if you had an opportunity and you could get them back, would you do it? Or are you forgiving and saying, you know what, I'm gonna leave it in God's hands. I'm gonna let God judge that person. I'm not gonna be the judge. Real faith works its way out in these ways. Two other ways that are in these passages. Real faith trusts God with our kids. Abraham, God came to Abraham and said, I want you to kill your, your son Isaac. He's like, what? There's a situation like this in our congregation among someone I know. What if God said, what if God's will was for your son to go to Turkey and then Syria to tell people about Jesus Christ there? And what if there is a good chance that could get him killed? Would you trust God with your son? What if it was your daughter? Could you trust God? Real faith is really hard sometimes. Abraham trusted God even with his kid. And then the last example is Rahab. She trusted God enough to be courageous and stand up to the bullies and stand up even to her own government and said that is wrong. 
fact, what she did reminds me of what Europeans did during World War II and the Holocaust. She had soldiers come to her house saying, where are the Jews? And she hid them and didn't let them take them and kill them. And so many did that in World War II. Not, 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 real, not, not enough, but some. Corey Ten Boom wrote a book, The Hiding Place. It's an awesome book. Her, her sister, her parents, they hid Jews in their home and then they were found out and her parents were killed. Her and her sister were sent to a concentration camp and because of the, the disease and the malnutrition and the starvation that was there, Corey watched her sister, her beloved older, stronger, and she would say more godly sister, die. And then afterward, she recognized one of the guards from Ravensbrook at a meeting where she was speaking. And he came up to the front afterward and she said, I, I, I almost froze in fear. I almost froze in hatred. She had been speaking about forgiveness. And the Ravensbrook guard comes up and she thought, he wouldn't know who I was. He wouldn't remember me, but I remember him. And he said, wonderful message, Fräulein. I wonder, do you even forgive me? He didn't know who she was, but he knew what he had done. And there was a moment there where she didn't. And then I think the Holy Spirit helped her, and she grabbed his hand and said, yes, I forgive you. Can you be like Rahab? who stands up in courage to the bullies of our culture. You know, if you volunteer for CareNet Crisis Pregnancy Center, there's a lot of people in our government and a lot of people in our culture and world that say you are a bad person. Helping people in crisis pregnancies, giving them a choice, <laughs> a real choice, how dare you? But real faith stands up and is willing to look like you're not patriotic and you're not a good person because you're following Jesus Christ. Real faith is costly. It affects all of our life. And I, I want to close, I, I'd be amiss to, to close without mentioning that starting step of faith that needs to happen in our life. And And 2 Corinthians 5 talks about it. God made him who had no sin, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Real faith starts by asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins and then saying, I'm gonna give you my life. And it's a hard thing to give God your life, but the great thing is, is when he takes your life, he gives you his own. And his, his Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ comes to live inside of you and makes you a new person and gives you a new life. A great example of that is a man I met with at Dunkin' Donuts this week by the name of Bob Winterstein. A lot of you know Bob. He accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior about 17 years ago. And uh, he has been struggling with cancer for a number of years. And just pray for Bob. He's in a really, he's got an experimental treatment he's doing right now. It's kind of the last chance thing. They're not sure if it's going to work or not. Um, but as we talked this week, 
This guy in stage four cancer. It's racked his body. It's weakened. He, he's, he's in some ways a shell of the man he used to be. He's the kind of guy, though, that says, why me, God? Why me? Not why me, why do I have cancer? No, the exact opposite. He's the why me God who says to me, why me? Why did God give me such a wonderful life? Why did God give me Mary, such an amazing woman, to be my wife? Why did, why did God give me these kids? I got such great kids. I love them so much. Why would God bless me in that way? And then I got grandkids that are even better than the kids. And, and, and God's blessed me with them. And my grandkids, they, they pray. They, they bring it up. They bring God up. And they have this childlike faith. God, why have you blessed me so much? God, why me? Why would you send Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me? to pay for my sins. It's just not fair, God. It's so much better than fair. And you know, that's a decision that all of us need to make. I'm going to close in a prayer of salvation. And I just want to invite you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, ask Him to forgive you. And if you've never then given him your life. I want to encourage you to do that when, when I pray. And then afterward, the band's going to come and play and, and uh, we're going to have some people up front here willing to pray with you. In fact, I heard a cool story. Someone who was up front here with one of these little I will pray for you signs and they're in the back on that black table if you wanted to be a part of this ministry. She was up here and nobody came up here to pray with her, but several days later, Someone saw her and said, I saw you up there. Could you pray for me even though it's not Sunday? <laughs> Absolutely. We want to pray with you. And if you make Jesus your Savior and Lord, as over a dozen people have through Bridgewater Church this year so far, you need to tell someone about that. We need to celebrate that with you. So pray with me. God, I just thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. God, I just ask that as I pray that, that, that others would pray along with me, even those who have been Christians a long time, that we would, be, we would be reminded of not only where our Christian journey starts, but where it ends and where we need to stay every day and every moment. God, I recognize that I am a sinner I've done things wrong that have hurt you and hurt others. And I just thank you that Jesus came and you put my sin and my punishment on him. And that you, thank you that Jesus took my sin and paid it all on the cross. And God, out of gratitude, I want to give you my life. I want to follow you, even when it's not convenient. I don't want to just give you most of my life. I want to give you all of my life.